Well, as our children go off to learn more about John the Baptist, we too have an opportunity to hear from the word of our Lord as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. Now, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea. He was proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his weight, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But, When he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come before you once again this Sabbath day. And we've come here to receive what you alone can give. We come here to hear a word from you. So quiet now any voice within us but your own and speak to us as only a living God can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the season of Christmas and Advent has arrived. And with it, there's a long list of things for each of us to accomplish. There are parties to attend. There are cards yet to sign and get in the mail. There are homes to decorate, gifts to be purchased and given. In many ways, I think the Advent and Christmas season is one of the most demanding seasons of the year. But it's also a time of excitement and anticipation. It's a great season to be a child, for example, and I think it kind of brings out the child in all of us. So how are you preparing for Christmas this season? Is it any different than how you've prepared before? If you haven't heard, there is a little concert here this afternoon to help you kind of get ready for the season. uh, It's followed by the tree lighting in the courtyard. It'll get you in the mood if you're not yet in the mood. Recently, my wife and I joined our good friends, Ron and Cynthia White, for a performance of A Christmas Carol. It's one of my favorite things to do during this season. 
It was at a little theater in Pasadena called A Noise Within. And what a wonderful little theater. It's our first time there, and the performance was absolutely delightful. Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, always helps me to prepare for Christmas. In 1843, a parliamentary report entitled The Second Report of the Children's Employment Commission in England caught the attention of this young author. In that report, it was detailing the effects of the Industrial Revolution on the lives of children. Vast changes were taking place in English society due to economics and even their celebrations of Christmas were changing at that time. For example, the Christmas tree had only recently been introduced into the celebration of Christmas in England, and it came from Germany. And the sending of Christmas cards was brand new as an event during the Christmas season. And these new developments created in English society a desire to return to the old forms of Christmas traditions that had existed for centuries. Now, 20 years earlier than this commission report, a young Charles Dickens' father had been imprisoned, probably in a debtor's prison. And it forced young Charles to leave school and go to work in a factory at the age of 12. He was pawning his books to pay for his lodging. So Dickens saw firsthand the incredible difficulty that poor children faced in 19th century England, street children who were living in appalling conditions. He planned to write a pamphlet appealing to the people of England on behalf of the poor man's child in response to the parliamentary report, but instead he wrote A Christmas Carol. And it was published in December 1843 it was an instant success, and it's become one of the most enduring traditions of Christmas. Now, I'm sure you remember the story of the miserly old Scrooge, whose former partner, Jacob Marley, revisits him seven years after his death to warn him that unless he changes his ways, he will suffer the same fate carrying chains around for eternity because of his cold and his heartless ways. Marley embodies the winter coldness and despair and darkness and death. Visited by the ghost of Christmas past, Ebenezer calls or recalls a time before he had become what he had become this miserly and greedy old man. In the Christmas past, he was young and he was in love, but he chose greed over the woman of his dreams and the die was cast. He'd given his heart away to the wrong future. But it was really the ghost of Christmas yet to come, the ghost of Christmas future that brings about the transformation in his heart. When he sees the inevitable results of the choices he's making 
and the future consequences from the life that he has chosen scares him half to death. Ebenezer Scrooge changed overnight. His heart was transformed by the vision of that future that left him frightened about the consequences of his present behavior. Charles Dickens critiqued the Christmas celebration of his time by redirecting its focus and calling for a new social contract. John the Baptist is something of the ghost of the past and the ghost of the future in the Gospels. He's Elijah, returned but to introduce the coming of this Lord and the hoped-for future that was on their doorstep. Like Dickens, he's seeking to change the way people live in the present for the sake of a coming future. And like Dickens, rather than focusing on changing public policy, he knew what needed to change was the human heart. So instead of a pamphlet, we have this wonderful story that has the capacity to critique the way we live and critique the way we live for the sake of a coming future. Now, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He believed in the prophecy of Isaiah, and he believed it was being fulfilled. He lived in this little community called Qumran, out in the desert, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered much later in the 1940s. So these people were literally making a way in the wilderness for the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist was a no-nonsense guy, a rugged nonconformist who lived off the land. Barbara Brown Taylor describes him as God's Doberman Pinscher. Like a guard dog, he had a vicious bark. John the Baptist preached in the tradition of fire and brimstone. God was not to be taken lightly. And living a highly disciplined, simple existence in the wilderness, well, it tends to kind of toughen you up. He's gruff, he's direct, he's passionate, even combative. Strength of character, strength of conviction. John the Baptist backed down to no one. Sent to prepare the way for God's visitation, John was a herald like other prophets who were weary of the plastic, phony people and their superficial religion. If we're to avoid some of the disasters we seem to be preparing ourselves for and for those who will follow us, Maybe we, too, need to be just a little bit frightened by the ghost of what is yet to come. Maybe we need a little deeper sense of urgency about the changes that God would have us make in our lives and in the world. Preparing the way for the future requires an honest assessment and appraisal of the present. We've just lit the second candle of Advent, the candle of peace. But peace 
is not what we see in the world. A few weeks ago, David Brooks, in his New York Times op-ed piece, wrote these words. Have you noticed that the world is on fire? Crowds are chanting death to Khomeini in Iran while the regime kills them in mass and shuts down the Internet. Throngs are marching to preserve democratic rights in Hong Kong, Warsaw, Budapest, Istanbul, and Moscow. The masses are angry in Pakistan, Indonesia, and Saudi Arabia, toppling leaders in Lebanon and Bolivia. This is the most widespread surge in global civil unrest since 1989. It's a story ten times bigger than impeachment, although the two are related, he writes, end quote. We live now in the midst of great uncertainty about the future. Dire warnings out there about the future and what it will be like if we continue to live as we do today without significant changes. Perhaps you saw over the weekend the article about France's response to Macron's adjustments to the pension plan. It's a pension plan that's insolvent. But the message is you better not take away our benefits. Brooks' article concludes, The big job ahead for leaders in almost all nations is this. Write a new social contract that gives both the educated urban elites and the heartland working classes a piece of what they want most. And whoever can write that new social contract wins. Climate change is another example of how changes today can affect the future that's approaching. Right now, the Madrid Climate Change Conference is underway this week. It follows on the heels of the UN General Secretary's call for the Climate Action Summit that took place in New York at the end of September, and it was coupled with a youth climate summit just days preceding the Action Summit. You've probably heard of Greta Thunberg, this 16-year-old Swedish environmental activist who has spoken at that summit. About the conference taking place this week, she said, we've been striking for over a year and basically nothing has happened. The climate crisis is still being ignored by those in power and we cannot go on like this. Greta Thunberg refuses to fly because of the carbon impact, so she was sailing to Chile for the conference, but they had to move it to Madrid due to the violent protests in Chile that have so paralyzed that country. And the UN General Secretary says this summit marks the point of no return in humanity's fight against climate change, end quote. Meanwhile, back here in California, insurers are being blocked from canceling home insurance policies for those living in fire-prone areas of the state, and the insurance industry is in trouble. There's a growing sense of urgency for a new social contract. 
was what was happening in the first century. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. He was calling for enormous changes for the sake of the future. He was critical of vapid and empty religious practice and language. Religious language that's eviscerated of content and pressed in to serve and achieve a monetary goal, that's a problem. It's the very kind of thing that a purist like John the Baptist would rail against. Empty religious and vacuous belief that produces nothing in the human heart. Produces no change in the fractured human relationships. That's what angered John the Baptist. That's what moved Charles Dickens. Because fake religion is worse than no religion at all. So John the Baptist was merciless with those who maintained the status quo so that people would keep making their pledges at the temple but would experience no real change of heart, no real faith in God, no real compassion towards others as a result of their faith. So today our text of Scripture once again reminds us that there's real choices to be made for our faith in Christ. And there are dire consequences if we refuse to face them clearly. It's not always easy to determine what's to be valued. And on this threshing floor of life, we have to be careful not to sift out the kernel and discard the substance of faith while gathering up the chaff as Ebenezer Scrooge did. Christmas tends to focus our attention on recreating memories and traditions from the, from the past, but Advent is about the future. And the question from this text is, are you making preparation for that future? Are your preparations adequate for that which is to come? Our choices are not neutral. And there are dire consequences for mistaking emptiness for substance. So what vision of the future will motivate you this Christmas? What change in your life is God leading you to embrace? What changes in your family and our society are needed for a new social contract for the sake of the way things should be? Maybe just a little urgency is needed this Christmas. Those who went out to hear John the Baptist were cleansed from their past and they returned home changed, a little lighter, less distracted, a little more focused, much like Ebenezer Scrooge did in The Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens describes it in this way. When Ebenezer wakes to find there's still time. Yes, the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, 
the time before him was his own to make amends in. I will live in the past, the present and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me, and the shadow of things that would have been may be dispelled. They will be. I know they will be. I like for Scrooge, the time before us is our own, to make amends in, in the words of Dickens. The shadow of things that would have been can and will be changed by how we live now. A new day is coming. A new social contract. Are you ready? May the Lord lead us into the future filled with hope and ready to invest in the future for others for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen.